Hello, this is Bill Myers for the New Jersey Urban News. And today we are talking about health and we're talking about the black community and we are talking about the black church. I'm very pleased today to have with us Deborah Fraser House, and she has an organization that is engaging our COVID-19 pandemic and, and is engaged in the, the, the betterment and health of the Black community via the Black church. So welcome, Deborah. Thank you, um, Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about your organization, please. Well, the name of the of the organization is Choose Healthy Life, and I'd like to see it as an organization of the Black clergy. So we have a Black clergy leadership council. We have leading okay. Black clergy coming from Newark, New York, uh, Detroit, Washington, and, and Atlanta. Uh, Reverend Jefferson, who's on with me, um, is the lead for Newark, New Jersey. And these clergy um, represent a leadership body that does the advocacy and, and planning around services in the community. Each one of these cities uh, services 10 Black churches. Um, we have been able to secure funding from HRSA to allow for each of the churches to hire a full-time public health navigator we call them Black Church Public Health Navigators on the ground. We've partnered with the United Way, and we've also funded the United Ways to have supervisors on the ground. So these, these folks are a new workforce army that's out there in public health, working outside in the community with the pastors on the ground in these communities. They know these communities better than anybody else. It is mm -hmm. far time that the black church got resources that they needed as far as financial resources that they need so that they could hire professional people to do the professional work that's necessary to take on something like pandemic uh, response and pandemic preparedness. For too long, we've been asked to feed the hungry, clothe the naked and do all of these other things and not receive any compensation for that as if that's sustainable. Those things are not sustainable. And now that we've seen this pandemic that has shown us that we are vulnerable in so many different ways, we're going to mm. die before anybody else dies. We're going to die a worse death. We're going to leave children. We, we're leaving 140,000 children have now lost a primary or secondary parent to this pandemic. And this is before AIDS. We already saw what AIDS was doing in, in our community. So, so, and we know about hypertension, we know about diabetes, we know about heart disease, and we know what's going on with obesity in our communities. So we, we have to be prepared to respond. Pandemic preparedness is not just when a COVID comes, it's to prepare us for the long haul so that we could save our own lives. We, we're in a situation now but we realize that people have forsaken us for so long that we can't even catch up when we're doing the right thing to save ourselves. So a new level of planning, a new level of workforce on the ground, new levels of training, new levels of advocacy. The pastors are the ones who can get to 
the mayors, the governors, and everybody else, the senators, new level of fight so that we could save our lives and say never again will we ever be caught in a situation like we've been caught with COVID and we would die at the rate that we're dying. Wow. Yes. Very much needed. And it's and it's refreshing to hear uh, a, a a proactive approach. I mean, getting on the front side of these things. I mean, we're 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 still behind now. I mean, the fact that we're organizing and taking this thing seriously, not just pandemic, but the overall health concerns as it relates to the black community. I want to share one little thing before we go further. And then I'd like to hear from you, Reverend Jefferson. The uh, I am involved with uh, climate uh, climate reality. Yeah. And so the idea of climate change, this started from me uh, after I started my podcast some time ago. I had a burning question that I sat on for a while and I was wanting to ask a good friend of mine, an actor named Tim Guinea, who is an, uh, a, a huge advocate with regards to uh, climate change and that sort of thing. He's an actor, but he's testified in front of Congress. He takes it very seriously. That is his passion. Um, and I sent him a text message one day because I what was running through my head was racism, climate change. Because I, my experience has always been, you know, climate change seems like such a suburban topic. It's a white suburban, <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And I asked him, was there indeed a connection between racism and climate change? And his answer to me was overwhelmingly. I will never forget that. So I brought him onto the show and then we started to explore that. And then I went even further in my own study and, and need to know even more Uh why and how environment and climate and all these sorts of things and essential workers and what they're exposed to and the fact that factories are built in the inner city, they're not built in the suburbs. You know, th there's some stuff that's not going to go down in certain communities. Absolutely. Never going to happen. That's right. And, um, and, and let me just say, let me just say this to you that, that uh, in regard to climate change, we are, are, are in a global society more than ever before. So when you look at certain diseases and the spread of diseases like Ebola, you know, what's going on with the bat community that's making them change uh, their physiology and, and have these kinds of disease. Zika is a mosquito carrying disease. When you look at climate change and the fact that mosquitoes are getting larger because the climate is changing and they're adapting to these things and bringing these diseases uh, uh, across the world. You, you understand that climate change impacts people of color who are the most vulnerable absolutely more than anybody else. And we have to be climate change activists. And I think we need to continue to accent that environmental injustice. Yes. Yes. Is a huge Amen. issue that is inextricably connected to everything that we do. And we have to bring a level of intelligence to it so that we can help explain it and make sure the narrative is correct with respect to that, because that bleeds over into what we eat. That bleeds over into everything that we do. That even bleeds over into our mental and our psychological uh, stability and our ability to really kind of get things done. And so I think that we cannot look at these issues in a silo. I think right. we have to be very strategic in helping to make sure that people know that they are intertwined and how they are interconnected and how they therefore drive some of the underlying pre-existing conditions, health issues 
that we absolutely have in our community. And Bill, I got to tell you, I am just absolutely excited. I have to commend you um, for what you're doing and helping to get this message out. Um, There's no question about it that what Deborah has done, she has operated under, I would say, a calling um, in order to help save lives. You know, it's more to saving lives than just preaching in the pulpit. The black church has always been an institution in our community that has been on the leading edge of impacting those things that impact our families. We always put a face on the issue. When you hear this stuff being talked about in the media, it talk about people. But no, we put a face on it. We talk about those folks we see in our pews. We talk about the Aunt James and the Uncle Sam's that indeed are dying because they have had underlying conditions for so long. So Mm. everything for us is high, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high this, high that. And Choose Healthy Life is really about addressing some of those issues. And I would have to say for the first time, and I've been around a little while, this is the first time I've seen an organized investment to train people and have a workforce to really come at the issue and be able to address it in a sustainable way. Do we need, do we have more to do? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Do we have to push to make sure this is not an initiative, but a lifestyle? And that's what Choose Healthy Life is. It's a lifestyle. It's not just an initiative. It's a ministry. And Deborah has Mm -hmm. been called to do that. And thank God we have ministers from around the country. Thank God we have cities around the country. And we are engaging other, I would say, medical authorities who are bringing their talent and expertise to the table. We have strategic partnership. We have strategic alliances. And I think Deborah is just doing a phenomenal job in connecting the dots and creating a network, by the way, Bill, that I believe will certainly help you know, our people uh, in terms of saving lives, because that's what it's all about. It really is about saving lives. And we have to control the narrative. We cannot let other people control the narrative for us. Your program is helping us to control the narrative, define, you know, the issue and get solutions out. That, well, thank you so much for that. And, uh, you know, uh, that is the goal. I mean, for me, uh, it it is so important. to uh, not just uh, get on a microphone and talk out, but what are you saying? Are you saying anything that has any particular value or is or is addressing a need? Uh, so I, I feel very, very strongly about that. So I don't do any fluff pieces. I like to get down with the get down because because our lives are at stake. Yes. Our, our lives are at stake. You know, I was amazed when you start to look at any particular health-related concern, you start to find a consistent thing of five to eight times more susceptible, five to eight times more likely to die, five to eight times, and you see it across the board, and you start to go, wait a minute, I do not believe that there is some sort of uh, biological uh, uh, anomaly uh, in, in Black folks that make them less than anything, but I would suggest that the the environment and the conditions and the compromised systems and and ways of living have caught up and have created a a vulnerability within the folks that make it that when something, you know, the common cold comes around, boy, it's going to slam somebody a little bit harder than somebody else. So I, I, uh, I feel very strongly that we that we, uh, you know, uh, address these types of things. So I commend you as well, Deborah. It's it's 
it's amazing work that you're doing and to have to 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 focus it and and center it in a way uh and then roll it out but but you know there 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 have always been efforts uh you know someone's trying a little something but without the larger community without backup without the other tentacles on that octopus, it's hard to move alone. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And you know I, what I mean? You gotta have you gotta have some arms here, you know. You have to, and our community is not without resources. There's nothing wrong with us as a people. We're we're right. we're we're some of the smartest, most innovative human beings on the planet. There's nothing wrong with us. And for our, and as far as our physical bodies uh, are concerned, we've withstood some of the worst physical treatment known to mankind and we are still here. So, so, so we, we, we are, uh, I would say in, in many ways superior in physical and physical attribute. The fact that we, the fact that we're dying at the numbers that we're dying, that says something else is exactly what you said. It is God and only God that will allow for the clergy the people that are the most trusted people in our community and the most powerful advocates in our community to combine with medicine to address this issue. So it's, 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 it's not me. I mean, I, I've been working all my life in both not-for-profit and corporate America, and it's taught me how to bring those two skills together and look at how to create and establish an organizational paradigm for the for the crisis that we sit in, but it is those tentacles, those the, those powerhouses, the black clergy. You know, Choose Healthy Life is chaired by Reverend Calvin Butts in at Abyssinian in, in New York, and Reverend Al Sharpton, and it's bringing together sort of that academic and activist preacher together, and 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 Reverend Jefferson is 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 one of the best examples because he represents both. Um, bringing them together <laughs> to, to, to not just create a thing, but sustain a thing and understand and contribute to the knowledge base that you have to have to have an organizational paradigm that is not just, um, not just a program, but becomes an institution. That's right. That's right. And, and I think, and, and, and I think, and I think, Bill, that is that is the most powerful, um, I would say, prescription for transformation and change. Um, and 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 that is to number one have the data, to do the analysis, but to also ensure the fact that you have in place an infrastructure that says that this is not an initiative, this is not an activity, this is not an event, this is not an episode. This is us stepping up to take ownership, to really Mm -hmm. therefore own the responsibility of our bodies, to basically educate our people, to fundamentally say that we can no longer just consume fast food. Because another thing that is connected to this is the economics that exist in our community mm-hmm. where people fight for the survival of just trying to get food in their bodies. And so therefore they run to the fast food places. And you know what those fast food places do. 
And so a few minutes ago, we kind of talked about climate change and how that is connected to this. But we're also talking about the economy and how the economy put our people in a space where they make health choices that are not necessarily good for their bodies. And so we have to step up and take ownership and say that we're not the least. We will no longer be treated as the lost and we will no longer take, you know, pride in being the left behind. We're basically saying we're taking ownership. And so we have people coming together now, which I believe is phenomenal. I have to say this, and this is not to pat anybody on. This is absolutely phenomenal. I've never seen anything like this right here, where we're forming a network here to say that we're not going to blame others, but we're going to step into it and we're going to make some changes here in order to make sure that our children and the next generation. And that's another piece of this. We got to break this cycle. A lot of this stuff, we can break the cycle of that. You see, Bill? We can break this cycle. And so it's not just about us who are alive today. I got grandchildren, okay? I call them the divine nine. I got nine grandchildren. I care about their health and wellness. Do you hear me? And I hope they have children. And I have to care about them in this generation right here now because I want to break that cycle of diabetes. I want to break that cycle of high blood pressure. I want to break that cycle of high cholesterol. I want to break that cycle of having strokes and things of that nature. We indeed caught a number of people who had high blood pressure, rushed them to the hospital because we were doing vaccination and testing. Do you know what would have happened if we had not done that? And so it's mm. time now for churches to also lean in. Are we deeply inspired? Are we people of faith and hope? Absolutely. But guess what? We need clinics in our space. We need to make sure that we're connecting these things together to therefore have our people see on a Sunday morning, this is not just about cramming Jesus. Yes, we want to have faith. We want to have hope. But guess what? We got to get to work and we got to deal with the body because guess what? The, our bodies is the temple of God. And you can't shout unless you're healthy, man. You know, I want to see some folks shout. I don't want them to fall out. But I want right. to <laughs> shout, not fall out. I love it. That's a bumper sticker. I, I mean, <laughs> I want to see some folks who are healthy. You know what I'm saying? So, so I think we now can move people into a space where they can start shifting the paradigm and seeing, wow, this is not just about getting happy on Sunday morning. Because guess what? When we test in this church on a Sunday morning, I have tons of people who do a one-stop shop. They get the word of God and they get tested. They get the word of God and they get vaccinated. They get the word of God and they get the booster shot. You can't beat that. And it is also telling our kids, church is not just what it used to be. Church now is evolving into a totally different space. Does that make sense? I mean, yes, church is community. Church is who we are. Um, um, You know, people used to say church is within you. Church is is who we are. And when we come together, we become a, a mighty force. Reverend Jefferson says about the economics and the environment that that plays. It also placed us in very vulnerable work conditions. Yes. We are the essential workers. We work in That's the supermarkets. We, we work in the fast food stores. We work in all of these places that put us in direct contact with people who are carrying disease. Yeah, We died faster than anybody else because we caught it earlier. So it's, 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 it's all of that. It's all of what now, now what we're trying to do now is amplify our voices. We've already proved that this works. We've vaccinated 58,000 people. We've got people and, and there's and, and church is not even in session. 
except for on video and, and, and our community is missing that. We've buried so many people, it's unbelievable. And even our pastors are exhausted from what they're oh, yeah. seeing and, and having to deal with. So we've got to come back. It's got to be a laying on the hands and it's got to be real when we come back this time. It's, it's got to be an unbreakable force. And this is one of the programs that came out of this. We didn't go get money from the government to do this. We said, we got to go and find whatever we can, where we can, and do this now. We don't have time for an RFP and answering a bunch of questions. Let's get what we've got to get. Let's get the resources in place and let's move. We're not the only ones. You've got a, a black doctors group in Philadelphia who just took the money out of their pockets and went and bought tests and started testing people in the streets of Philadelphia. There's so much that has come out of this, this pandemic, as bad as it was, the innovation, those individuals who care more than anybody else to just stand up and say, I can't take it anymore. The Choose Healthy Life came out of some of my work in AIDS as the founder of the National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS 21 years ago. But it mm. also uh, came out of the fact that in my second retirement, I'm watching television and watching them put black body bags in the back of black refrigerator trucks in New York. Mm. And I'm saying to myself, what does this look like? It's almost deja vu. Right. We're not going to have it. And just got up and started writing proposals because we can, because, because God gave me that gift. We can't just sit back on our lawyer laurels and watch this anymore. Never again. We can never let it happen again. So what we're putting in place is something that we want to be an institution. Something yes. that the community, when the community sees choose healthy life, they're saying, I choose healthy life for me, you, and as Reverend Jefferson said, all of my offsprings and all of my generations, because I will never again be caught up in something like this. And we can't forget, you know, we go back to work and start doing things and start moving around. One of the reasons why we have this new surge with Omicron is that people, people gave up and started moving around again. You can't do it. We, let the guard down. Exactly. You can't let your guard down. And this is the vigilance that we have to have. When this is over, we can't let everybody say, we get, we glad that's done. It's not done. Everybody talks about, we have to go back to normal. We died in normal. That's right. Their normal yeah, is not go. our normal. We won't go that's back right. to normal. That that's is not, absolutely. That's not life for us. That is mm -hmm. absolutely right. And, and you know, we, we've had, and Bill, I'm sure you're aware of this because I've experienced it. We've had a number of starts and stops in our community with respect to various things. We get a little money over here and then people get disappointed because it's never continued. We get a little bit money over there and never continued. So th this right here, it's important for us. And we're saying to everybody, be a blessing, you know, spread the word. Number one, inspire, engage and inform is what we're saying mm -hmm. at our church inspire, engage, and inform. Be a blessing, first of all, to yourself and get vaccinated and yes. get boosted and get tested. And then we're saying, now be a blessing to those that you love, you know, and have them to get vaccinated and tested. And then tell people about Choose Healthy Life, mm -hmm. that we intend to make sure that we're advocates for this. We're not in no ways tired yet, 
as our ancestors would say. No ways. <laughs> you know, we oh, used to amen. sing this song back home. We come this far by faith, and faith without works is dead. It's dead. dead. Yes. And so Deborah is finishing her seminary degree. She's ready to step into this thing, right? Amen. <laughs> so, All right now. So at the end of the day, we, yeah. we, we really want to be a blessing to people. The, the church, McKenzie did a study, and I was just looking at it the other day. The black church is the most credible institution in the community. No one anymore trusts law enforcement the way they do the black church. They don't trust financial institutions the way they indeed trust the church. They don't trust the health system the way they trust the man who stand up in the pulpit and the woman that stands up in the pulpit. They come to the church to get credible information that they can trust and believe in. So to form this around the most credible institution in our community and to do messaging out of the church is just a phenomenal thing that I am confident will help us to get more and more traction. I just get excited when I talk about it because I can see so much good coming out of it. I said to someone the other day when I was speaking to them, they wanted to know what Choose Healthy Life was about. And I went through all this stuff. And then I ended up by saying, this is a cataclysmic movement. Mm. This is just not a motion. This is a movement. This is not a moment. This is a movement. And so, you know, I told them, hey, keep your eye on this space, like Rachel Maddow said. Just keep your eye on this space, right? Because I really do think that it's going to, beyond a doubt, be transformative in nature. It already is. But we want to keep it going. You know, that that is awesome. You know, uh, there is something I, that, Deborah, you mentioned in your past, and I would like to uh, inquire about it. Um, and that was your work in uh, in AIDS and HIV. And of course, uh, recently, my attention, uh, I actually uh, was attending a a, um, a a a meeting on behalf of my church and I went in and it was about a current move from the federal government to um, go into, it seemed to me that they were very specific in targeting the black church to, uh, to uh, what is it? To end HIV AIDS by 2030. And, and I thought, wow, now, now again, now, Reverend, I, I want to be I want to be real here. Um, and I'm glad that this when we talk about our our healthy get, you know, uh, our, our healthy lifestyle and the need to change. But certainly um, uh, the black church in the past, its role, particularly as it related to HIV AIDS, was not necessarily um, um, you, you know, what I mean, it, it really was not a not not as well. Uh, embraced yeah, because yeah, of theological right, and, right, and so on right. and so forth. But nonetheless, I think that we as people have have evolved a bit, right? at least with our, our, our tolerance or our level of compassion as it relates and awareness as it relates to the, you know, n- not just the homosexual community, but that was probably the basis and some of the, the conflict, knowing that HIV AIDS is not a, a gay disease, uh, but it is a very real thing and it is still going on and it's particular in the black community. And that's, I just wanted to bring that in because we're talking about healthy lifestyle and whatnot. We can't, we can't pick and pick and choose one right. or the other. No, let, let, about- let me, let me, Bill, I think you bring up a great point. Let, let me just, and okay. I'm sure Deborah's going to chime in. She's, she, I mean, she, she, she has the experience. Let, let me just say 
that if there's one thing that has impacted us that we need to continue to work on, you know, the scripture says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. Mm. You know, we, 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 we did not have the knowledge, neither did we understand. And I think we were stuck in a theology that did not quote represent the openness of heart. Ah. Okay. We spoke of love, but did not recognize that we needed to live love by embracing Mm. those kinds of topics and being able to deal with them during the time in which we live. But I saw us kind of evolving over time as things went on. And I think things now, I think things have changed even completely now. I would agree. Uh, yes. You know, I, I, I started, Go ahead, I, I started the, 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 the National Black Leadership Commission on AIDS in 1987. Uh, prior to that, coming out of the Urban League, uh, people were still calling AIDS GRID, the gay-related immune deficiency disease. And information was not streaming into the community. Um, in fact, people still thought that it was a white gay man's disease, not just a right. not just a gay disease. So the so the community had turned its ears off to the epidemic in total in the very early early 1980s. As it evolved by 87, you know that it was that it impacted people who were drug users, people who were who were uh, um, uh, 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 people who were gay, people who were straight, people who were we realized that this was a full-blown epidemic in the, right. in, in the Black community. I can remember going to Harlem Hospital and picking up the babies who were left there abandoned. They called them border babies at the time. Uh, abandoned by mothers who, uh, who were on drugs and had found out for the first time when they delivered that they were HIV positive and left the babies understanding that that was a death sentence and there was nothing that they were going to be able to do. Because they also felt the guilt of infecting the infecting the children uh, in utero, so there was a lot going on. And 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 in looking back, I remember for 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 the Black Leadership Commission on AIDS, one of the first places we tapped was the church, and we went to the church and said, "No, no, no, <laughs> you don't get to pick and choose." And you don't get to pick and choose what black folks you're going to take care of or how you're going to take care of them. You are who we rely on. We, we go to church and pray with you. We ask you to, to, to save our lives. We ask you to save our children. We ask, and this is a moment. And I used to use a term from the Bible from Esther for such a time as this. Who called you to the pulpit if not for such a time as this? You don't get to relinquish that responsibility. But I'm going to say this for them. During the time that we were at Blacker, I can remember I advised two sitting presidents. The clergy was there and advocating for everybody, including the gay community, with the White House, with both Bush and Clinton. We brought them together for a conclave in 2008. They wrote the first massive Black piece of legislation for people with AIDS, including everybody who was impacted and did it with black gay men uh, at the at the center of it getting these advocacy pieces pieces together I remember Reverend Butts and Reverend TD Jakes 
came together and bringing people together like Reverend Jefferson that brought everybody together, uh, 200 of them from around the country to say, this is where we need, where we need to take this. I know that they fought on the ground for resources, for their communities, for their community-based organizations, whether it was the gay men of African descent or, or Iris House for Women and Children. The, the clergy was front and center by the time we got to the 1990s. Everybody recognized that you really can't go in the Black community and impact any epidemic, particularly AIDS, and not have the Black clergy on your side as part of it. So they have, they, they, they have and will continue to be that. So for you to be in a church where they're talking about the Black clergy, this is now standard across the country that mm. the Black church clergy is involved and very actively involved in addressing the HIV and AIDS crisis, which is one of the reasons why it was uh, in the purview of Choose Up Life to grasp them to do COVID because they were already there. So I, I do want to yeah. say that. I, I do want to say I know that, that they get a bad rap very often, and some of them should, uh, but not all of them. And that right. I, I can remember seeing signs, even in churches, in, in a church in Harlem, a sign up saying, you know, we take all people except people. In other words, don't come here and sit down here to, for your own salvation if you've got AIDS, because we don't want you. We don't, we don't even want to, we don't want to even help save your soul. And this was for gay men, women, everybody. It was, it was horrific. But they came to the table and they came around because some of them were already there. Some of the pastors were gay. So it right. was, you know, the, you know, the people don't like to have that conversation, but it is right. true. And, and, and sometimes when you invite the leaders to the table, everybody else will follow. That's right. Mm -hmm. That is exactly right. And, and I'm, I'm Bill, I'm so glad you brought that up uh, because I, I think that what Deborah has shared will help to clear the air that this is not about picking and choosing, but we have to embrace all. And and I have to tell you, you know, a lot of times we ch our minds are changed when stuff starts to hit home. You know, when you see your choir member, when you see your organist, when you see your minister of music, that's what when you see your own family member, mm -hmm. my God, you know, it's almost like one of the pastors who said to me, who said, you know, Jeff, I, I did not believe in women preachers until my own daughter came to me after service and said, Daddy, I've been called. And he said, I had to trust my own daughter. Some, <laughs> some, sometimes when this stuff hit home, I'm telling you, it it it, it really, it, it, it changes. I mean, it really helps. So, you know, I think it started to hit home that some of the very people that we love, trusted, know, love the Lord. Yes. Right there had HIV. Yeah. You can't be gay. black in America and not know somebody who's had HIV. Absolutely. Everybody knows somebody. And in 1987, when I pulled the leadership together and uh, under the Urban League, and I said, we're going to have a, a, a meeting uh, of the leadership because we're in crisis and we don't know it. And it was clergy, elected officials, uh, business leaders. We brought, we, we just brought a hundred leaders together, with first starting in New York. 
and said, we, we've got to do something to, the, to address this. That took them to a wooded place for two days. De- Mayor David Dinkins was was among there, and and uh-huh. and uh, Al Van. I mean, we had we had Reverend Daughtry. We had we had leaders from all over the city, business leaders. Darwin Davis, who was a principal, uh, 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 senior vice president at Equitable Life. We brought together the people who could move things, and said, "This is where Gary Bird from BLS, you know." Dr. Barbara Justice, we brought them together and said, we need to understand what's going on and we've got to get the word out to the community. And after those two days, they created a national organization that is now 35 years old. Mm. Well, I did I did not want to, by any means, sort of uh, sideline or hijack this conversation oh, from right. the very notion of COVID. Uh, but I did want to just, again, I don't believe we can have this conversation unless we're honest and and and, and tackle the the difficult parts Absolutely. of the conversation as well. God bless you, because um, we all bear uh, responsibility yes. for it all at the end of the day. Yes. So, uh, but I think sometimes being able to address those those challenges and those uh, those places we've been, we can appreciate even more where we are and where we are going at this time. Um, and I, I think that that's really, really important. Um, so I, as I said, I know that there there's I mean, there's obviously federal dollars. There's all kind of stuff being thrown at that initiative to end HIV AIDS by 2030. Um, uh, so that is yet another arm of 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 I, I would imagine uh, a good, healthy oh, lifestyle. As well, a- HIV you know. and AIDS is in our DNA. Um, yeah. we, we would never abandon HIV and AIDS. Um, but we, we do have to get out of this COVID situation. Yes. So now talk to me and, and I want to, I want to zero in on that. So, so what activities have we been doing thus far organizationally? Um, and then, uh, would you share with us what, what the next, you know, what, what are our next steps and, and how can we as individuals, as other clergy members uh, who are now becoming more and more aware even of this organization and its efforts, how do we continue to grow that? I, so I'm giving you the, the big pitch now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let I'm going to let Reverend Jefferson take over some of the big pitch, but I'm just going to give you some All numbers right. as to as to where we are. To date, yes. we have uh, educated and and done outreach, at, w- w- which we can count, like hands-on outreach, to over 7.2 million African-Americans in the communities mm. in which we've served. We have vaccinated over 58,000 individuals in, in these communities, vaccinations and testing. We are, we are focused... Um, solely and, and, and wholeheartedly on not just the five cities that we had in the beginning, but with the HRSA grant, uh, we were allowed to, to expand to cities like uh, in, in Indiana. Um, we've gone to, uh, uh, well, states, Maryland. We've gone to Virginia. We've gone to Delaware. We've expanded so that the Black churches in those communities are now on board New Orleans, Chicago, and becoming part of, part of the movement. We have done community uh, assessments on each of these churches so that we know within a, a 20 block radius 
what it looks like, what's there, where where are the grocery stores, where are the where do the where does the community congregate, um, what age groups are we dealing with in these communities, in this so that we can do a, a very targeted outreach into these communities. We've looked at all of the disinformation and we've brought in Columbia University to help us analyze and evaluate. And we probably have one of the best, um, and we've, we've partnered with Quest uh, uh, Diagnostics to do the testing and expand testing now. Testing is gonna be expanded, not just for COVID, but for all of the health maladies. We're looking at doing a blueprint of people in the community so that they can have in their hand, be armed with the ammunition that they need to save their own lives. Here's what mm. your cholesterol looks like. This is what your hypertension looks like. This is where you are on the diabetes scale. And then we're bringing in the National Medical Association to help decipher this, these, these, these documents and this information so that the community can make informed, informed choices and informed decisions uh, about their health. We, we, you know, we've been visited by um, the first lady, first lady Biden at Abyssinian and uh, uh, um, the vice president, uh, uh, Kamala Harris. Uh, we've been visited by her at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Um, we've got, you know, mayors coming from from all of the cities coming into the churches to visit with the pastors because the pastors have been very focused on you come here when you want us to vote for you. Mm. We're dying and we need you to come here with the vaccines. We need you to come here with the tests. We need you to come here with whatever I need to keep my congregation and my community in this radius of my spare alive. And they have been more effective than any group. I couldn't have created an advocacy group that's more effective than these bathrooms. So, mm. so, so, so that's where we are as far as numbers are concerned, and I'll let Reverend Reverend Jefferson, because he speaks so well about the need for sustainability. When, when you when you really think about what Deborah just said, uh, the last Sunday in this month, we're going to have a huge Choose Healthy Life service. So think of it this way: we're going to have a service that is centered around hoping and healing and healing and hoping. We will be anointing people on that Sunday. We will have expert professionals who will have a dialogue and providing information as a part of the service. I will do a short sermon, but this will be beyond a doubt, a new way of helping people to understand that it's not just about the message, but it's putting the message in action. And so we will have major artists that will be here. On that Friday, we want to have a Choose Healthy Life declaration and proclamation by the mayor that we're going to make Newark the first Choose Healthy Life city in the United States of America. Wow. We want to use that as a platform to give birth to Choose Healthy Life stuff all around the country. So there will be a Choose Healthy Life Atlanta. Let's say we're going to declare Atlanta Choose Healthy Life. We're going to declare L.A. We're going to declare Detroit. We're going to declare Washington. We're going to declare city. So we're going to give birth to what Deborah just said and use that as a model and platform to share the data 
share the information, have the services. And we're going to do this around the country under the brand Choose Healthy Life, bringing, if you will, collaborative partners to the table and having that kind of discussion and that kind of spiritual messaging. Right. Paul said, I think myself happy. So we have to make sure. I love it. I'm with you. So we we have to make sure then that this thing is about individuals having hope and thinking big and understanding that this right here is not just a mustard seed. This thing is growing into a big tree. Yes. Right. And I can see it in my mind's eye right now that as we plant this around the country and create this network, That's the very same platform we'll continue to use for anything else. That is not just about a, you know, shot in the arm. This is a platform for health and healing. This is a platform for every kind of condition so that we're ministering to people other than when a pandemic comes around. We want to be prepared for the pandemic, but we want to make sure that this is a platform of health and healing, that we are bringing everything together so people can see that we're not just trying to jump through hoops when we have an emergency. And so Mm. we can't do that without what she just described. We can't do that without that infrastructure. We cannot do that without that platform, right? But once we have that, I would say that something phenomenal is going to take place here in Newark, New Jersey, you know, the end of January, (laughs) all eyes on Newark. And we're getting ready to launch this thing big time, right? So that we can have this. And I do believe that it's going to not only draw individuals' attention, but it's going to help us to really heal and to really save lives and to really send a message that we're stepping up and owning, if you will, our health and wellness. And we're not waiting for other individuals to try and do that. All right. All right. So so, you know, that's that's awesome. So I I do have my eyes on you uh, in Newark on that last Sunday. So uh, just to let you know, I've already told myself I'm I'm looking toward Newark. I'm looking at you. So I've got I've got one thing I want to toss out, Deborah, and it's something that I discovered again in the midst of doing my podcast and, and whatnot. I did a show on autism. In the black community, and I went online because I, you know, I'm I'm a research hound, so I will do my homework. Uh, and I'm looking around, looking around, and I found very little data. And the data that I did find suggested that uh, autism is very, very low. Well, that was inconsistent with five to eight times black folks on every other. Uh, a malady there is. And I wound up calling a black autism organization. And I said, you know, I'm about to do a podcast and I'm kind of running light on data. And she said something along the lines of, so are we. Mm. And that led me to a place where I went, wait a minute. There is basically what she was saying was that, that the studies there, there is nobody studying it. So we're talking about mental health. We're talking about some of these incidents. Right. We're talking about cognitive right. issues. Right. And, and nobody's even bothering to study that as it relates to the black community. Right. Well, my my thing would be, it's, of course, got to be five to eight times the same 
across the board. Right. Why would that be different? Right. And so I just wanted to, to throw that out because I certainly hope that somewhere along the lines, maybe you can assist in commissioning something that addresses and, and, and dives into autism as it relates to the black community, because I think that that's one that really has not even been looked at. But I would imagine that that's a significant issue that is being undetected yes. because nobody cares to look at it. Nobody cares about the development mentally or, or any of those Absolutely. sorts of things. It's it's not important enough. Absolutely. And I would say, again, for it to be consistent with everything else I looked at, it would it has to be up there. I, I, but I these, would agree with you. It has to be. And, you know, that that brings up a couple of of uh, of issues. One is our people in clinical trials. And so, I, you know, getting getting some of our community to go into some of these clinical trials so that we could be a part of the study solutions and understand mm-hmm. what what's different about us. A lot of the clinical trials, both the researchers and the companies would rather not have us involved in the clinical trials because sometimes it's just too much to do to put those ancillary services around our community. So, you know, transportation, those kinds of things so that we can be involved in, in the clinical trials. And, and, and a lot of times it's education. Our community is not very amenable to walking into clinical trials and having researchers study us. You know, Henrietta Lack, you've got the Tuskegee experiment. You've got a lot of historic things that are nightmares for us that didn't happen mm-hmm. that long ago. So right. so it's not something that people have forgotten. It's not ancient, it's not an ancient history. The other thing is that that somebody's going to have to put some money around black researchers. Sure. They, they are the most underfunded researchers in America. And I do believe Choose Healthy Life and these clergy have a place in advocacy around autism, around black researchers, going back to NIH and Anthony Fauci, who's been the face of this, this, this coronavirus disease and said, all right, so we have a relationship with you and we want you to know that black researchers need to be funded to do these types of studies because very often they'll come back and say, we want to study X specific to our community and those applications get rejected. So there's a, there's, I could go on with the number of reasons why this could be happening, but because we know it's happening, and we mm-hmm. don't have an advocacy arm fighting for us that an autism organization for black folks could still say that they're out of pocket with data is a very bad thing. It's the I same agree. thing that happened with us with COVID. They were out of pocket with testing. They didn't know how many of us had gotten tested. And quite frankly, you had an administration that didn't care. Right. That, 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 that you just hit it. <laughs> you just hit it. See, if I don't really care, then, uh, you know, well, if I don't care, you don't exist. If I don't care, you, you don't exist. If I have the power and the resources and I don't care, then you don't exist. And it's okay for me to ignore you. Keep going. It's not okay. So we're back to the paradigm that I've discussed before. Never again. Never again. And not going back to normal. Because that's normal. It's normal mm-hmm. for us not to have the data and know what's going on in our community. We will not go back there because we died there. We had and, no and resources think, there. Go ahead, Reverend. And, and I think the other thing that, that we have brought to bear uh, that we've also said, never, never again. And the urgency is now. <laughs>
we, we, we have to stop kicking this can down the road. And we have to fund it now. We have to make sure that we're making progress now. You know, I have a message coming up that I might share with you at some point if you come and tie it a little bit with me, Bill. Um, and it is, <laughs> it, is called, it is called deal with your now. Mm. Deal with your now. So we had a number of things that have happened in the past. Guess what? Water under the dam. Like Deborah is saying, we have the now. What are we going to do now? And I think we have to really continue to draw individuals' attention to the notion that we have a now situation that provides an insight, learning, and a platform for us to never again allow this to creep up on us. And if we don't address it now, shame on us because we now see the lives that we've lost as a result of looking through the rearview mirror and doing nothing. And so I honestly do believe that this right here is about hard work, it's about advocacy, and it's about the resilience and the tenacity, which we have in our community. We have it in our DNA. Our people have it in their DNA. Resilience, tenacity, and really fighting. And so now we need to continue to channel that in the direction of our own health and our own wellness. And to make sure, as I said before, that we're laying a foundation for the future so that we will be more healthier. It's, it, it has to become a lifestyle. And that's what we want to make it. And, and, and then, and then, and, and finally, the, 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 the issue with, with Choose Life, you know, Choose Life comes out of Deuteronomy. Choose life so that thou and thy seed shall live. Um, a, a pastor many years ago, like 30 years ago, uh, Reverend Timothy Mitchell out of Queens, um, we were trying to figure out and working in AIDS, what to say to the community 35 years ago that, that, that would make them embrace the, the AIDS conversation and come out of that false knowledge that black people didn't get AIDS. And, um, we were looking at ads, some ads were on television and some of the ads actually showed uh, baby caskets being slammed and, and AIDS, don't get it. And we knew that our community could not deal with that. Culturally, we don't, we don't treat death that way. So we tried to figure out, you know, and this was the Department of Health doing this, they don't know, they didn't know. So what message do we have for our people? And he said, well, why don't you tell them to choose life so that thou and thy seed shall live? And I said, that's it. Choose life. Because in everything that we did, we had a Choose Life Gospel concert for AIDS. And it just resonated with the community to let them know you have a choice and you have the power to make that choice for yourself and for your people. So choose life so that you, and like Reverend Jefferson said, every generation the divine nine, y'all can live. So we, when when we decided on this COVID this COVID model, we said, what what do we call this? And there was no pushback. Choose life, choose healthy life, so that you'll be fine and you and your children can live. And that's the message to the community. And that's why we're called choose healthy life. You see, you see what she just said. That's a sister 
who has a legacy of really understanding black folks. Um, that that's the kind of thing you open the doors of the church up mm. on and say, whosoever will let them come. Mm. That's the kind of message of love. That's the kind of message of grace and mercy that has brought us to the point where people trust the black church. <laughs> they know that those ministers have it in their heart to look out for their best interest. Absolutely. To stand up for them. And as a result of that, I, I, I just believe that the vision is one that has been declared by God. Write it down so that the runner will see it. Mm. And we're going to run this thing and run this thing, my brother. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> That's right. I love it. I love it. Okay, so now we got to do a little housekeeping. I want to make sure, Deborah, please give us uh, how uh, how the any uh, members of the audience and the public can find you uh, on the internet, perhaps, or we want how they you can to make go contact. to to the website www.choosehealthylife.org. It's .org. www.choosehealthylife one word .org, and you're there. You can sign up uh, to get regular information from us, reports from us. Uh, it, it, there's a there's a page there that says, do you want to get involved? How you can get involved? You'll see what's going on with all our ministers. You'll see Reverend Jefferson and all the other ministers that are on, are on the Black Clergy Council. Um, and it will give you information and updates on where we are with our numbers and everything else. All right. Excellent. Okay. Now, Reverend Jefferson, I, I, I want you to share uh, information on you as well so that people can check in on you on that last. All you have to do is <laughs> go to January. our website. Just go to our, on your business. go to our website. <laughs> you just go to Metro NBC Newark.org and just come right into the website. We got a page for Choose Healthy Life. We got a page for this and a page for that. Just come right in. It'll tell you the times of the services. It'll also tell you how you can give online. They'll tell you how you can do all of Yes, but at right. the end of the day, that's the way you can absolutely do it. The thing that I really like about what we're doing is this. You have the model and then you have that grassroots effort that is taking place, as Deborah just described. This is no longer philosophy. This is about yeah. getting it done. Amen. Just go getting right there done. and people will see that. We'll post when we're going to have the big event on the last Sunday. We'll post what we're going to do with the mayor. All of that will be posted on our website. Well, I want to thank the both of you for spending this time with me. This has been an informative conversation and I'm glad, I'm so grateful that we were able to have this conversation in, in hopes that it will be the beginning of many conversations yes, as we and move forward. We welcome forward. you to the Choose Healthy Life family. So come on in, be with us. Amen. You know, I am there. I am there. I am there. Thank you Thank so you. very much. Thank you. Thank you.